You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Listening to Funky Monkey MMA. Welcome back to another edition of Funky Monkey MMA. I am Kane Miller, joined by Matt Webb. Uh, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Ready to break down these awesome main card fights. Yeah, man, sounds good. Um, yeah, like Matt said in the previous episode, we looked at all of the prelim fights for UFC 209, and so for this episode, we'll be taking a look at the main card fights. So for the first fight on the pay-per-view, we have a pretty interesting matchup between Alistair Overeem and Mark Hunt. Overeem is coming off of a disappointing title loss to Stipe Miocic back at UFC 203, where although he remained, he did really well early on. He eventually suffered a first-round knockout late in those five minutes. And Mark Hunt, last time we saw him was at UFC 200, where he eventually he initially lost a decision to Brock Lesnar, though although that was turned to a no contest when Lesnar tested positive for banned substances. And Hunt has been out of competition ever since then. This is an interesting fight here. Uh, Overeem, he's one of the most decorated strikers to ever compete in the UFC's heavyweight division. He just has fantastic Muay Thai and kickboxing, really great kicks, good power, really strong in the clinch. His knees have always been really great. And that's why his grappling's all right, too. He he has some decent jiu-jitsu, particularly that really good guillotine of his. But the thing with Overeem that everyone already knows is that his chin has just always held him back. You know, his whenever fights are on the feet, he just it seems that whenever he gets tagged with roughly anything, he just immediately goes out. I mean, we saw in his last fight with with Miocic, I mean Miocic was able to knock him out when he was in over his guard. And you know, it's just like it it seems that whenever Alistair no matter how well he's doing, the minute he gets tagged, he just he gets finished and that's always held him back from capturing gold. Now Mark Hunt he is, of course, a veteran. He fought in pride. He's been with the UFC for quite some time now. And, uh, you know, he, he's been a fan favorite, but he's also had some issues with the UFC over for a while now. Ever since Lesnar tested positive, Hunt has been talking about suing the UFC, suing Lesnar, and there's, there seems to be a lot of legal conflict around Hunt. And I'm kind of wondering where he's at right now in his career. I mean, he's 42 at this point, and I'm kind of, uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm just, I'm not really sure where his head is at right now, but um, Matt, what are your thoughts here? What struck me as odd is the name value of the card. I mean, the prelims for hardcore MMA fans are really, mm-hmm. like, I mean, they're extremely exciting. These these fights on the prelims are very exciting, but yeah. as, far as, as far as name value goes, the most, you know, known names is Yuri Alcantara and Darren Elkins. I mean, mm-hmm. so yeah. as far as prelims go, I just want to 
make the case that this main card is stacked. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. And extremely exciting fights, and the fact that Alistair Overeem versus Mark Hunt just shows where this card's at, the main card, and how they're just going right out of the gate with an awesome fight. That was super exciting. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I just wanted to throw that little tidbit in there. Oh, yeah. Mark Hunt, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't gloss over the relationship he has with the UFC right now. It's a very Mm -hmm. rocky relationship. They essentially send him in there on a fool's errand against a Brock Lesnar who was, I mean, to all anyone in the know in the MMA that, I mean, you don't just get off the bus looking like that after you've been retired for X amount of years. And he's looking like a freak, the freak that Brock Lesnar is. But yeah, it seems like he had some added help with supplements, and now he just goes off and retires. So, I mean, they sent Mark Hunt on a fool's errand. And if, like you were saying, that how that could mess with his head, it could do that or it could light a fire under his ass to prove to them that, you know, you sent me against Brock Lesnar, who I had every right to win that fight, but you sent him in, you know, clearly on some drugs that are not legal under USADA testing. So Mm -hmm. I think Mark Hunt can either come in and have that on in his mind and how he feels with his UFC relationship or, and, you know, that affect him negatively, or he can come in and show the UFC you know who I am. I'm Mark Hunt. I'm about to go and knock these fools out just to prove to you what you did is like that you need me, that this is my like Because how many times has the UFC count out Mark Hunt? I mean, for God's sake, they wanted to buy him out of his Pride contract when they bought Pride yeah. and pay him yeah. and pay him not to fight. So I know this is like a long-winded analysis of the fight, but like you were saying, I mean, Overeem is really, really good. And that fight against, Stipe Miocic was is exciting. Is I mean one of the most exciting heavyweight fights we've seen sometime title fights. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just I just don't see a scenario where Mark Hunt doesn't go in there and clip Overing and send Overing crash into the mat. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, and you know, Mark Hunt, he's a decorated striker himself with his kickboxing background. I, I don't think he's quite as technical as Overing is, but Mark Hunt is very durable. The only time, I mean, we've seen him finished in the past, but the thing is, I mean, like, you know, like Junior DeSantis caught him, and, uh, you know, Melvin Menhuff, like, he he caught him earlier back in 2008. Um, You know, guys like Verdum and and Miocic did, but even then, like, in those losses, we still saw how durable Hunt is, and that's just something that Overeem doesn't have. It doesn't matter, like, the kind of the size and and reach that, that Alistair will have over Mark Hunt. Hunt still has that ability to just end the fight instantly over Overeem. And I just, I don't see that being something that Alistair quite possesses over Mark. Now, can can Hunt finish uh, Overeem? I think absolutely. I think that there's just, it's that constant worry when you're watching Overeem fight that, like, man, he could get finished at any second now. But I do think that all of kind of the question marks surrounding Mark Hunt right now 
have me hesitant to pick him. You know, like you said, he, he could either just be very unmotivated depending on based on how things have been going thus far, or he could be very motivated based on those, on these circumstances, because he just kind of wants to show the UFC that he can still hang around and what they did was wrong. So we really could see either or, but that uncertainty does make me question of whether or not I should pick him. Based on that, I'm going with Overeem here, but his chin has me very concerned as always. I just think that Overeem can stay on the outside, uh, pick Hunt apart with his kicks, possibly take him to the clinch as well and try to uh, land those knees, as well as maybe even mix in some takedowns. You know, Hunt's grappling has improved over the years, but I still think Overeem has the advantage there. So he might look to try to put him on his back. Um, anyway, I think that it might go similar to the Roy Nelson fight that Overeem had. I think that he can just use that size advantage that he has to stay on the outside and kind of pick Hunt apart from, from a distance. And that's that's kind of what I was about to allude to. Is if he wants to win this fight, he has to fight exactly how he fight Roy, like fought Roy Nelson. I mean, yeah. that Roy Nelson fight, I remember watching that, and just like you're saying now, just the whole time he's on pins and needles, doing whatever mm-hmm. he can to not – but an interesting thing in that fight and what Alistair has a habit of doing, okay, when he gets backed up to the cage, and he did this against Roy Nelson, he did it against Jiren Dos Santos, he's done it against essentially everybody who fights. When they're coming in and they're they're not necessarily blitzing, but they're putting combinations on him, he will back up to the cage, go to that shell guard, and wait until they there's a break in the combination and he'll circle out. He did yeah. that multiple times and he did that multiple times against Roy Nelson and he did it against Giro Dos Santos. And that's when Giro mm-hmm. Dos Santos landed that beautiful body shot, but eventually they circled around and Alistair caught him with a step in hook from hell and knocked out Giro Dos Santos. So mm-hmm. I think how Alistair has changed his game has been good for longevity. However, he should have been using this style years ago, but he was also a muscle-bound behemoth, and suddenly all of his muscles gone somewhere, which is strange. But, <laughs> I mean, I just think that shell guard is going to catch up with him the night of the fight. I, th- I could see if he doesn't pick Mark Hunt apart and do exactly the game plan he did against Roy Nelson, I think he's going to get finished. I think a combination is going to come, and Mark Hunt's going to walk away, knock out his way up to the UFC brass, and essentially give him the middle finger from hell. I mean, I see Mark Hunt. I see Mark Hunt winning by knockout in round one. I see it being just a statement on Mark Hunt. But essentially, Overeem has to fight the perfect fight. I just don't think he can do it for you know fifteen minutes. Is basically what it comes down to. Yeah, I agree with that. It really wouldn't be surprising at all to see Mark Hunt finish the fight early with a knockout. Uh, for me, it's just the uncertainty around Hunt and all these circumstances that has me a little bit hesitant. If, if all that wasn't going on, I might lean more towards Hunt. But for now, I am going with Overeem based on the fact that he could fight that perfect fight. Um not necessarily a perfect fight, but fight similarly to how he did against uh, Roy Nelson and try to pick him apart from a distance and just not get in that range to where Hunt can land one of his, his haymakers. Um, 
I don't think that Overeem will be able to finish Hunt, but I do think that he can do enough to to get the decision there. But it'll be kinda, a really good. Yeah. And that's kind of what, like, I mean, not the undersell Alistair Overeem. I mean, he's one of the most prolific strikers in the heavyweight division. I mean, he, it's Alistair Overeem, so he could definitely yeah. crack Mark Hunt. But damn, it's Mark Hunt, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it, it'll be a cl- it really could. I think it's another one that could really go either way. It's either going to be Hunt by knockout or Overeem by decision. I'm going with Overeem, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the other outcome either. Um, and with that, we'll move on to an interesting lightweight matchup between Lando Venata and David Tamer. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on this fight here? Groovy Lando Venata has had really just meteoric rise in the UFC. I mean, he comes out fights Tony Ferguson, and mm-hmm. at that time, it, I'm pretty sure it was a co-main event spot, you know, on short notice, and he had that amazing fight with Tony Ferguson, just back yeah. and forth action, and I remember getting the notification on my phone saying Lando Venata is now in for uh, against Tony Ferguson. I remember being like, who, I feel bad for this kid, and then yeah. just, to watch, just to watch him, and Tony Ferguson is about to fight for the you know, lightweight strap or the interim lightweight strap. And he mm-hmm. he was as competitive as you could possibly be, you know, be. And he almost finished Ferguson, who's very durable. Yeah. So, and then they go and give him John McDessie, who is a great striker, you know, one of the best strikers at lightweight and has been for a long time. So, I mean, when Groovy Lando Venata, man, he, that guy's the top 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 competitor at that division at the lightweight division but david tamer is very talented as well i mean his Mm -hmm. fights are extremely i mean he's he's very savvy he's very good you know with his striking he's he throws really good clean combinations and this is going to be my pick for five of the night Orlando venata versus david tamer i'm really excited i could it's it's going to be exciting. It's just who's gonna who's going to go out there and implement their striking game plan. I, I want to lean towards Lando Venata, but I don't know, man. This this seems like a trap fight to me. Yeah, it's it's a good fight here. Like you said, Lando Venata, he's become one of kind of those rising guys at lightweight because even in defeat, he looked so good against Tony Ferguson and on short notice, I mean, with Ferguson being one of the top guys at 155. And then, of course, uh, he bounced back with that just devastating uh, wheel kick knockout over John McDessie. I mean, in under two minutes, he just put McDessie out cold. He, like you said, is another uh, really solid striker at lightweight. And so, Venata, he has a very, like, unorthodox style like he's very fluid he moves around a lot he he's very he's kind of like wavy with his with his strikes he he just kind of naturally moves in and out really well and that throws a lot of guys off now compare that to David Tamer who I think is a little bit more kind of by the basics technical with his striking he has really good Muay Thai and kickboxing there was really good combinations I saw that really good spinning back fist from uh, against Martin Spenson, and then that really devastating knockout over Jason Novelli too. He's very technical. He throws good fluid combinations, mixes in his kicks very well. 
and I think that he is another rising guy at lightweight too. Um, the question is, is whether who can find their rhythm more, I think here, because I do see this, uh, playing out on the feet for the most part. Now, Vanata, uh, he, he, he's a little bit more tricky with his stand-up, but he could have some trouble with the technicality that Tamer brings to the table here. Yeah, and that's, I mean, David Tamer, he's he's just kind of like a fly-by-night fighter in the fact that when, you know, I saw the, where they gave Lando Venata the main, the main card spot, which is well-deserved, and then they give David mm-hmm. Tamer as a dancing partner. Which may have been a surprise to some people. You know, you would think that they would, you know, match up Wendo Venata against, you know, a more decorated lightweight as far as being in the UFC. But as far as skill for skill goes, I mean, David Taymor, that kid's no joke. I mean, he is mm-hmm. talented as they come, and he could be, you know, a top 155er within the next two years. So. If I can see, I think it's going to be a mad scramble. I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it's, they're going mm-hmm. to exchange. But, the, you know, how unorthodox Lando Venata is and how pinpoint, not necessarily pinpoint, but how standard striking Taymor is with his, you know, with his development and with his overall game, I can see the, the unorthodox-esque striking style that Lando Venata have coming in the clutch again because he already beat John McDessie, who's a very decorated striker, and he beat him in fantastic fashion. Mm-hmm. Do I think that he's going to come out here and do a spin bat kick, a uh, spin wheel kick knockout? No, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Lando Venata is going to win a very close, very close, but a very astounding decision. I think this is going to be the five of the night. Yeah, I agree here. It's going to be a really, really good scrap. Overall, yeah, it is Venata's unorthodox style that had me siding with him. And we saw how much that his stance and his movement threw off Tony Ferguson. I mean, Ferguson had a really tough time uh, handling his Venata's movement. And while Timber is a little bit more technical, it, it could be difficult for him to find that rhythm based on how unpredictable Venata can be. Now, I... We could see a knockout from either guy, but I think a decision is more likely. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think that Venados is going to steamroll Tamer like he did against McDessie, but I do think that his unpredictable striking will be enough for him to get the win here. I think that he can outstrike Tamer, kind of land those awkward, uh, the awkwardly timed shots that he's really good at, and the unpredictable strikes that he throws. I think he can land those throughout the fight and kind of just uh, edge Tamer out in the striking exchanges ever so slightly and win the decision. Could possibly even be a split decision here, but either way, yeah, I'm leaning towards Zanata here. Just all around, I mean, no matter who wins that fight, we're seeing two very, very talented lightweights who are going to be in the division for years to come. I think it's a crossroads fight. And, you know, no matter who comes out the victor, it's just going to be really exciting. Everybody's in for a treat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And with that, we move on to a middleweight fight between former light heavyweight champion Rashad Evans and Daniel Kelly. Kind of a weird one we got here. So Rashad <laughs> Evans, yeah, this. Uh, so Rashad <laughs> Evans, this will be his middleweight debut. He's coming off of 
a very, very rough knockout loss to Glover Teixeira almost a year ago, back in April of 2016. And that was his second straight loss. Um, before that, he was actually looking pretty good when he fought uh, Dan Henderson and then eventually Chael Sonnen. But then he ran into a slew of injuries. And when he came back in 2015, he lost the decision to Ryan Bader and then, of course, went on to suffer the knockout loss to Glover Teixeira. And with all of these factors, I'm really, I'm really questioning where Rashad Evans is at in his career right now. Um, he just, he just has not looked good in his last several fights. Even before the knockout loss, like the Ryan Bader fight, he just, he couldn't get into his striking rhythm. He did not look like the same guy that he did in his prime. And to Rashad's credit, he's been fighting for a long time. You know, he like, he's he's held the belt. He's fought kind of a who's who of the light heavyweight division, and then this is him eventually trying his hand in the middleweight division as well. And there's a lot of question marks as to how he's going to look here. Now, his opponent, Daniel Kelly, man, he's like, he's, so he's a former Olympian judoka, and he's 39 years old. He was on uh, the Ultimate Fighter Canada versus Australia, where he just, I mean, he he fought once on that show and he lost in under a minute when he fought Sheldon Westcott. But then he eventually made his UFC debut. And ever since then, people have continuously been counting him out, but he keeps winning. He he just, he keeps proving people wrong and he keeps winning his fights. <laughs> I mean, he's, the guy, the guy is five and one in the UFC. He's only losting to Sam Alvey. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy to think about. And he's beating guys like Antonio Carlos Jr. and then Chris Camozzi, you know, guys, the guys that are pretty good in the division. And so it's just kind of an interesting fight here based on all of this information because on one hand, we have this far more experienced guy in Rashad Evans who's kind of at a crossroads in his career right now. I really don't know what to expect from him from this point on. Then we have Daniel Kelly who's just constantly the underdog and people keep proving, and people people keep counting him out based on his age and how he's looked, but he keeps getting his hand raised. It, it, Matt, what's what's some insight here from you? Analysis. I have no idea how in the hell Dan Kelly keeps doing this. I mean, yeah, crazy. Yeah, is it not the craziest damn thing you've ever seen in sport? I mean, he goes out, he fights Luke Zakharov. And he wins by Kimura, which is, you know, that's kind of, he is a judoka and he's very talented. Mm-hmm. And he has a good submission game. And yeah, he beats, yeah, he does. And he, yeah, and then he goes and beats Pat Walsh, who's, you know, he's a no-name guy, but he was on the Ultimate Fighter as well. Gets knocked out by Sam Alvey. Everybody does. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, he had that fight against Steve Montgomery, who's pretty, you know, he's a good fighter. And then he goes and and then they match him against Antonio Carlos Jr. And like you were saying, like when they match him up with Shoeface, I was like, okay, this, yeah, we're about to see the end of this Daniel Kelly ride right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought the exact same thing. Like when they put him, I mean, I like I thought the Montgomery was going to beat him too. Um, like I, like I'm pretty sure, like. Like like I thought that Montgomery was gonna beat him, but then he he beats Montgomery. Then when they yeah when they give him Carlos Jr. I was like okay Carlos Jr. is gonna win this fight like he like he's better everywhere. But then he he proves everyone wrong there too. Yeah, and then yeah when he and he battled back in that fight ended up finishing mm-hmm. shoe face. I mean which is and then they matched him up against Chris Camozzi and Chris Camozzi 
I love Chris Camozzi. If you like the sport of MMA, and Chris Camozzi is not, I mean, he is the quintessential UFC middleweight, but he's, I mean, he's had three stints in the UFC, and he keeps coming back. And he was on that Liddell versus Ortiz season of the Ultimate Fighter. And he was, I mean, he's, you look at him, and, you know, Chris Camozzi's a talented guy, and I've always enjoyed watching him. And, and Chris Camozzi's very well-rounded. He's, he's a well-rounded, talented middleweight. Granted, it's middleweight, and we're not seeing, which we are, there's, it seems like there's no in-between at middleweight. You either have the freaks of the freaks, the Luke Rockholds, the Jacare Solzas, the Yoel Romero's, the Chris Whiteman's, or you have these, you know, these middle-of-the-road guys like Dan Kelly, Chris Camozzi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when he beat Chris Camozzi, I was like, all right, I don't under – I just – all logic, and I've watched so many fights, and I just, I just don't know how he keeps doing it. But a pattern that happens in every one of Dan Kelly's fights is his head does not come off the center line. Wait, I mean, he palms that jab out consistently, and his head rarely comes off the center line. When throwing combinations, he doesn't do a lot of things. I think Rashad Evans is going to come out there and end this. End this Dan Kelly Cinderella story. I think Rashad's going to come out there looking revitalized and rejuvenated at middleweight and show everyone that he is the Hall of Famer. You know, the sugar Rashad Evans we all love and remember. And, I mean, when Rashad Evans is on, he is on. I mean, that mm-hmm. when Rashad Evans is looking as capable as he can, he looks damn near unbeatable. I mean, he dominated Chael Sonnen, and then he had that string yeah. of injuries. And he came back against Ryan Bader, who's no slouch at 205. And then he fought Glover Teixeira and he got knocked out. He didn't look great in that fight. But, I mean, I think it's just he's fighting guys. Glover Teixeira is huge. Like, I, I remember yeah. watching that fight and being like, Evans looks significantly smaller. So, I think mm-hmm. I think Rashad Evans is going to come down to middleweight. And I think he's going to end this Dan Kelly Cinderella story. And I think he's going to come to this division in emphatic fashion. I just don't see – no way under the sun how Dan Kelly wins this fight. But I've said that before. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like we've all been counting out Dan Kelly, but, hey, I mean, he's even said it before. He keeps proving everyone wrong. Um, and, you know, like, it's kind of one of those things. It's like like if you saw Dan Kelly, like, on the show, like, if someone told you that, like, years from then he would be fighting Rashad Evans, you'd be kind of like, what? But, um Rashad Evans, I still think with all of his the trouble that he's had over the years and how off he looked, yeah, I still think that he can get the win here. Um, he's he's faced some of the best of the best in his division. I mean, all, all throughout his career, he's done that. You know, he yeah, he lost to Ryan Bader. I mean, Ryan Bader's looked has been continuously getting better in each of his performances. Um, and just you, you know, he fought all around. What's that? And just, I mean, just an addendum to that, that's a great pickup for Bellator, Ryan Bader. I mean, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I see him going there, too. And, um, and you know, like, after the, the after his fight with Bader, he went on to face Glover Teixeira. And, you know, like you said, Glover Teixeira is a huge light heavyweight, and he has tons of power. So it wasn't really surprising when we saw him get the win. But, yeah, I think even with all the struggles that Rashad has had, I still see him getting the win here. Like, his his boxing 
is on another level compared to Dan Kelly, whose striking has come so good throughout his career. Dan Kelly, he kind of, like you were saying, he kind of like just charges forward at guys. He looks to land those big punches. But in doing that, he leaves himself wide open. That's one of the reasons he got caught against Sam Alvey. Um, and he really shouldn't he, – he really – like, that's, that's a dangerous game to play in general, but especially against a guy like Rashad Evans, who's going – who's a former light heavyweight, a guy who has shown good power throughout his career. I think that that's going to be a big problem for Dan Kelly. And I think that he's also going to really struggle to get it to the ground based on Rashad's wrestling. Rashad has really good takedown defense. He's really good in the clinch. And that's going to make it really rough for Dan Kelly to try to get it to the ground and utilize his judo. The only way that I really see Kelly having a ton of success here is if he – is this like Rashad just kind of like the injuries have just constantly added up and he just does not look like himself at all. In that case, then I see Kelly getting the, then I could see Kelly getting the win, but it like Rashad, even based on how he's looked, I still think he's good enough to get the win here. I think that he can use his boxing and his defensive wrestling to either finish the fight with strikes at some point, and also like, but probably like maybe second round or so, or just do enough to get the decision. Yeah, and I think I think this is the first extremely good athlete that Dan Kelly's gonna face. Like yeah. a really, really good athlete. I mean, let's face it, we're not seeing, you know, Chris Camozzi doesn't scream athletic, you know, prize. I think Rashad Evans does. And I think the athleticism, the boxing, I think I think Rashad Evans goes out there and just overwhelms Dan Kelly. I think if Rashad Evans fights to his capabilities, he goes out there, overwhelms Dan Kelly, sadly, ends old man Kelly's meteoric rise to the heavyweight title. I mean, not the heavyweight title, the middleweight title, but I just, I got Rashad Evans by TKO in the round two. Yeah, yeah, so we're both siding with Rashad Evans here. All right, and with that, we move on to a very, very highly anticipated lightweight matchup between Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson. This will be for the interim UFC lightweight championship because it looks like at this point, it seems like every big fight just has to have a title on the line, but we won't really get into that. Um, so Khabib Nurmagomedov, he is one of the most intimidating guys in the UFC right now. I mean, his record speaks for for itself. 24-0. and 0. I mean, he, like the injuries have held him back over the years. But he still he still remained one of the top guys at 155 pounds. He's one of the most dominant grapplers in the UFC. We saw that in his last fight against Michael Johnson when he just put a beat down in that fight. Like he goes out there, he slams you to the ground, and he just punishes you. He mauls you with his ground and pound, and he looks for submission attempts as well. He's kind of in one sense, kind of like how we were talking about Darren Elkins in that guys know what to expect from Nurmagomedov, but they just can't stop it. Nurmagomedov is obviously much more dominant than Darren Elkins is. But in that sense, guys know that Khabib is going to look to take them down. He's going to look to clinch up with you, suplex you to the floor, and then just control you from top position and punish you with ground strikes. But no one has really been able to stop it thus far. The closest one was Gleason Tebow back in 2012. But ever since then, 
Nurmagomedov has just dominated everyone they've put in front of him. Now, with that in mind, he's facing, I think, the toughest test of his UFC career so far when he faces Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, his only loss in the UFC was to Michael Johnson back in 2012. And ever since then, he's just put on one of the most impressive winning streaks in the UFC so far. He's coming off of an impressive performance against former champion Rafael Dos Anjos, and he's been one of those guys who's just been climbing the ranks over the years, and this is going to be his big moment to prove that he is that he is possibly the best guy in the division who will eventually fight for the actual title later on. Um, but uh, Matt, before, before I go on any further, what are your thoughts here? It just shows how deep the lightweight division is. It shows how... Mm-hmm. Everyone in that division on any given day it, it could just be the champion, and this is this fight is you know it's it's almost as you know Conor McGregor you put him by the wayside, which he will be looming over this fight because it's Conor McGregor he owns everything right now. But as far mm-hmm. as the fight goes, both of these guys earned it, and that's you know in a time in MMA where the word earned is it carries so much less weight than what it did, you know, back in the Tito Ortiz days, the, you know, Bob Lou days, the Chuck Liddell days. Both of these guys earned their spots in this division. They didn't talk. They did a little talking, even though Tony Ferguson is great in an interview. I mean, that guy will light up an interview segment, but, they both earned it. I mean, Edson Barbosa, Lando Venado, Javier Desanos, Josh Thompson, Gleison Tebow, Abel Trujillo, Dan Castillo, uh, Katsunori yeah. Kakuno. I mean, those are – he earned his way. They both earned their way to this title fight. And I know it's got the word interim in the, you know, on the poster, but this is – this very well, you know. I mean, stylistically, this is both Conor McGregor's nightmares against both of these guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and that you know, and that will come later. But as far as like an analysis standpoint of how this fight goes, it's can Tony Ferguson's like water approach to fighting will it be able you know to in the words of Bruce Lee, flow and crash with the absolute scariest dominating lightweight in the division right now. I mean, can Tony Ferguson flow with just the Overwhelming, just beast that is Khabib Nurmagomedov, and I just, I just don't know. I, I mean, this is the one fight on the card. Yeah, you, know, you can't have it. You can't have you're winning away with every fight on every card, and you're like, well, if this happens, if this happens, this fight comes down to Khabib Nurmagomedov getting the takedown and Tony Ferguson's jujitsu and how his transitions and how his in a scramble, this fight will live and die in a scramble. If Khabib can take over the scramble and get to a dominant position, or if Tony Ferguson can capitalize on a scramble and get a submission, that's where mm-hmm. this fight will live and die, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's a really, really close fight that's been in the making for a long time right now. One thing that many people were curious about was how Khabib was going to look after he returned from his injuries. Because, I mean, they were originally supposed to fight back in April of 2016 at a UFC on Fox card, 
but uh, Ferguson actually had to pull out, and so Khabib faced Daryl Horker, and people were, were uh, a little bit hesitant to to see how Nurmagomedov was going to look in his return, but he went in there and he totally dominated Daryl Horker, and after that he went and fought on the first New York card, UFC 205, when he faced Michael Johnson, and like we said, he just completely dominated Johnson. He went out there and he made it look easy, and it's it, it is, it's just a testament to show how tough Khabib is and how much of a contender he he's established himself to be. And um, there there are a few key things. I'm going with Khabib Nurmagomedov here for a few different reasons. Um, one thing I know some people have been pointing fingers with the fact that this is a five round fight and we we've seen Tony Ferguson go five rounds, but we have not seen Khabib Nurmagomedov go five rounds. I haven't seen anything from Khabib that makes me doubt his ability to go 25 minutes, though. Like, whenever he's out there and he is just tossing these guys around the octagon, he looks like he can do that for 10 rounds. You know, we haven't seen any cardio issues from him whatsoever, and so I don't think he'll have any issue going five rounds. Now, a big key, a big key factor here as well is that Ferguson, he's very well-rounded, but he has a tendency to fight very odd sometimes, if, if, you, if you've seen what I mean. You know, like, he, he'll he sometimes, like, he'll pull, like, he'll try to grab a hold of that darts choke that he loved so much, and he'll try to, like, pull guard with it, and then, like, he'll try to just kind of do really odd, really odd maneuvers in the octagon that makes him actually winding up in more trouble than he really should be. And he just he can't do that against a guy like Khabib. And if he tries to do that, then I think that Khabib, he'll basically just be giving those dominant positions to, to Nurmagomedov, and Nurmagomedov is going to to take advantage of those. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I, under, I understand what you mean in that aspect of the fight. However, on the flip side of that, Tony Ferguson is extremely opportunistic. He is the most opportunistic fighter you will ever see at this day and age. And and Michael Johnson caught Khabib a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. That's one he did. I mean, Khabib went on to dominate that fight, but lest we forget, that first round, he was getting tagged, and he got tagged by yeah. Michael Johnson, and it got his attention. The difference between Michael Johnson and Tony Ferguson is if Tony Ferguson smells blood, it, it just like it just feeds him. It just feeds him. It feeds him. I mean, it, the dude's an honorary Diaz brother. I mean, he just – does not mm-hmm. slow down, and it, these guys, and but neither does Khabib. I mean, it's just going to be. It, it's I'm I'm so excited. I, I haven't got to you know take the <laughs> chance to really get excited about this fight, but I'm just so pumped for it. But I mean, Tony Ferguson's jujitsu is on another level. Khabib's wrestling is on another level. I mean, yeah. this fight, like I said before, it's going to live and die in the transition, and. Tony Ferguson, he's so opportunistic that it's just hard for me not to see him capitalize on opportunity in 25 minutes. Him catching, you know, catching Khabib on knee on the way in and then, you know, Khabib slumping over and then Tony Ferguson sinking in a darts choke, that's, that very well could happen. I mean, yeah. you know, the fifth, in the fifth round, Tony Ferguson coming out, and blitzing Khabib and Khabib getting tired, like you said, I don't think Khabib will get tired. There's nothing that's even been significantly showing that he will ever get tired in a fight. I mean, the dude's the damn 
crazed animal out there. Yeah. But I, I just, for some reason, I just, I'm leaning towards Tony Ferguson away fourth or fifth round submission, which is crazy. It's Khabib. No one in their right mind would go against Khabib, but I'm going to say Tony Ferguson, fifth round submission in an epic fight. Okay. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening because uh, Tony Ferguson, he uses his length so well. I mean, yeah, like we said, he loves that Darce choke. He's he's so good with it because he has those long arms. One thing that I, that I do that does worry me, though, is that in those transitions, Ferguson does sometimes favor submission over position. You know, sometimes I think that he tries to force submissions that aren't quite there. Like, we saw that a little bit in the Josh Thompson fight. He'll sometimes really, really dedicate himself to a submission, even if he's not, like, in the right position for it, or if he's, if it means giving up a dominant position. And what results is him kind of losing a dominant position and uh, not being able to secure the choke. But he really, he just, he can't do that against Khabib because if he tries to do that, you know, if he tries to drop down with his darts choke from standing position and wind up on his back and try to go for it and he doesn't get it, Khabib is, he's basically giving that top position to Khabib and Khabib will not let him up. You know, Khabib takes you down and he keeps you there. And I think that that is, could be a prominent factor. Now, I don't know if, if Ferguson will necessarily do that, knowing how good Khabib's wrestling is, but I think it's something that I want to keep an eye on. On top of that, I don't know if this will really come into play, but Tony Ferguson's striking defense has also been questionable in several fights. Um, you know, Ferguson... He has he's one of the taller guys at lightweight and he, he's really good at using that reach. But sometimes his height actually is a disadvantage for him because that results in him being countered quite a bit. Uh we saw that against Linda Venata, we saw that against Edson Barboza and uh Abel Trujillo and it, like he sometimes just tends to get caught fairly often and it's just something that always kinda of makes me nervous while he fights. Now do I think that Khabib Nurmagomedov will, like, knock him out on the feet? No, I don't think so, because Nurmagomedov, he's shown a little bit of power over over the years, like the like the Tiago Tavares fight, but he's always much better when he's on the ground and, and punishing you with ground and pound. But it's just something that I do want to keep an eye on, and it's something that, will, that has been prominent in Ferguson's past. Um, ultimately, I just think that, Ferguson, with that kind of wild style that he fights with and that fluidity that he fights with, that might cost him here because Khabib is really good at capitalizing on those openings. And I think that if Ferguson tries to get a little bit too crazy with his offense, I think that that will leave those opportunities there for Khabib to capitalize and take him down and then just control him with his with his dominant grappling with how strong he is. So do you have Khabib by decision? Yeah, I'm leaning towards Khabib here. It wouldn't be shocking to see him get the stoppage due to strikes, but I'm yeah, I'm I'm going with Khabib here. I think that he can um capitalize with his takedowns, kind of try to negate that wild style that Ferguson fights with and not really give him enough space to to look for those submission opportunities. I think that Khabib will take him down, uh scroll with his ground and pound to do enough to win on the judges' scorecards. Ah, damn it, Kane. You almost talked me into going back my own pick. But, like, yeah, <laughs> w- w- 
you alluded to, that Ferguson favoring submission over position and how Khabib favors position over everything. I, <laughs> you're almost you're almost making me want to go back, but I'm, I still got Tony Ferguson round five submission. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I really I can't fault anyone for picking Ferguson here. It's just man, it's such a close fight. Like it's one of those where like it kinda like you were saying, you're like, Oh, if this happens, then this will happen. This one, like, I could see it playing out in like several different ways here. Um, there's a lot of emotion in this fight too. These guys really, really don't like each other, but um ultimately I think that Khabib's kind of positioning and his top control will get him the win here. I'm picking Khabib by decision, but Honestly, though, what you said before, this is for the interim title. I honestly see both of these guys beating Connor. Do, do you agree with that? Yeah, I would say we could break down that fight at a later date, but damn, I mean, Connor could be like, yeah, whatever, I'll go up to watch weight, fight GSP. Never know with him. But if yeah, this, could, Tony Ferguson, I could see it being a hell of a fight, but Khabib, I mean, that's Connor's nightmare right there. That's, I mean, yeah. Connor Connor is going to be watching the fight, sweating bullets if Khabib comes out on top. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think that yeah, I think that both guys would win. I, yeah, I think that Khabib actually would be the worst matchup for him because you know Ferguson, like like we said before, his striking defense isn't great, and that would at least give Connor more opportunities to to land with his punches. Granted, Ferguson will be the bigger guy, but like for a guy like Nurmagomedov who just clings to you and doesn't let go. Yeah, that that would not be a really good a good fight for Connor. So he'll he'll be watching that fight really closely, and uh, I I think I think that it'll be a really really fun fight, no matter no matter how it goes. I I think it's both guys match up so so interesting, and this is probably the fight that I'm looking forward to the most here is is this co-main event. I know it's so exciting. It's I mean it's going to be riveting television, and we still, we still got to break down this main event. I mean, damn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, so with that, we will move uh, to the main event. As good as that, as the co-main event is, this main event is also great. We have the highly anticipated rematch between welterweight champion Tyron Woodley and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So these two guys, they fought at UFC 205, and they fought to a draw. It was a really good, close fight. And I actually, I do agree that, that the first fight was a draw. You know, having rewatched it, I think that Tyre, I think that Stephen Thompson he run he won rounds two, three, and five, but Tyron would Tyron Woodley he won rounds <laughs> one and four with round four being a ten eight round, and so I think that he I, I think that that it should have been a draw, and of course we got this immediate rematch here. Um, it's it's an interesting one. We kind of saw how both guys match up here. And it kind of, nothing really surprised me in the first fight. Do you know what I mean? Like, we know that Thompson is the better striker. He's more diverse and he's really good at range. And that's something that he showed. But we also know that Woodley is the better grappler. He showed that in the first round with his wrestling. And he might pack just a little bit more sheer power in his hands alone. And we saw that in the fourth round, where he just numerously uh, rocked and dropped Stephen Thompson and, I mean, almost finished him as well. So, yeah, we, it, we, it kind of played out how everyone thought that it was going to the first time. It was just really, really close. 
and it'll be interesting to see how both guys adjust going into this fight. But, uh, Matt, how do you see these guys stacking up against each other? In the first fight, I mean, it was, I agree with you. The draw, you know, I'd, when they announced it as a draw, you know, because initially they announced that Tyron Woodley won by decision. And mm-hmm. I was not surprised by that. But I also, yeah. when, they when they re-announced it as a draw, I wasn't surprised by that either. Now, if they would announce mm-hmm. it as a decision for Wonderboy, I would have been surprised. Mm-hmm. And the the reason being, Stephen Thompson, in that fight, he was most successful essentially doing what he was, you know, did prior to his MMA career, point fighting. But he was limited. That initial round where Tyron Woodley took him down and just essentially had his way with Stephen Thompson, that mm-hmm. that cut off that cut off the kicks. That cut off half, I mean, 60% of Stephen Thompson's offense. And Stephen Thompson, from there on in, had to outbox Tyron Woodley. But besides, I mean, it's, it, it's extremely enamoring because – Tyron Woodley could win. He could finish the fight by, you know, backing up to the cage like he does and just landing one of those overhand rights or just blitzing and just landing the overhand and, you know, separating Stephen Thompson from the world, you know, knock him unconscious mm-hmm. or, some, or you know, you know, damn near knocking him out and then hitting him with a submission with that guillotine that he had, which was insane. I cannot believe Stephen Thompson not only got rocked, but got the strongest guy in the watchweight division by far, and he was in the clutches of his guillotine and did not tap. I mean, just a tremendous display of heart by Stephen Thompson. But yeah. one of the underlying one of the underlying themes of this fight is like um, Joe Rogan alluded to it on his podcast that how he asked Tyron Woodley, "Why didn't you take him down anymore?" after the first round, and Tyron Woodley, all he said was, I don't know. I have no idea why I didn't take him down. If Tyron Woodley comes out and takes Wonderboy down and does what he did in the first round and does what he can do, this could be a short night for Wonderboy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like you were, were saying, Tyron Woodley, he took Thompson down early, and Thompson just had nothing for him on his back, which is which is understandable because Tom because Woodley has such a decorated grappling background, he has such strong wrestling, and Thompson is much more of a striker. You know, he really his grappling has improved over the years with his training at uh, with Chris Weidman. His grappling has gotten much better, but it's not going to be on the same level as Woodley. And that also kind of ties into the fact that Woodley, he can be inactive at times. We saw that a little bit in the first fight, too. You know, like, his matchups against, uh, you know, Jake Shields and and Rory McDonald and a little bit in the Kelvin Gastelum fight, too, he can be pretty gun-shy. And I think that that's probably what we were what we are seeing there. You know, it's it's just, it was so odd to see him have so much success on the ground and then just not even, like, look for the takedown after that. It was It was really bizarre. Yeah, I agree. What you just said there, that was the next point I was about to bring up, another underlying theme of the fight, is in the Jake Shields fight, I remember thinking, like, like, I remember thinking over and over again, just go. If he just goes, he will win this damn fight. And he just he just laid back in Jake Shields, and Jake Shields is not. 
I mean, by MMA standards and by elite welterweight standards, Jake Shields has never, ever scared anybody to death with his striking. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And Tyron Woodley was so gun-shy during that fight. I remember thinking, just go, just go. Same same with the Kelvin Gaston fight, same with the Roy McDonald fight. Roy McDonald just negated him, and Tyron Woodley just stood by the cage the entire fight and just could not go. And I and I think he was like pitter-pattering, like you said, between that mindset and the Stephen Thompson fight. And just between – when he went, he went. And when he went, he dominated. But then mm-hmm. he, he was letting – Stephen Thompson, Wonderboy, back into the fight with this this weird mindset. I mean, the fight, in my opinion, is either going to go, you know, two ways. Either Howard Woodley goes out there, does exactly what he knows he can do, and takes Stephen Thompson down and just finish what he started in the first round of their last fight, or he he shows up in that Tyron Woodley that showed up against Jake Shields, that showed up against Roy McDonald. And if he does that, he's going to get picked apart out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. A lot of this will come down to Woodley's mindset. You know, he's a guy that is very inconsistent with his performances. Sometimes he'll go out there like his fights with, with Dun Young Kim or his fights uh, with Bobby Lawler, where he won the belt, where he'll just look like a killer and he'll look unstoppable. But then other times he'll just look too tentative. He will not pull the trigger. He he'll he'll just be hesitant to engage, and that's something you can't do against Thompson because Thompson he'll stay on the outside. He'll pick his shots and then he'll just uh, strike you and and chop you down with his with his kickboxing. And so, yeah, it, it it's gonna go one of those ways. If if Woodley puts the pressure on on Stephen Thompson and he looks for his takedowns and also looks to land those kicks of his own because Tyron Woodley has those devastating leg kicks and Stephen Thompson has such a wide stance and he relies so much on that movement. But if Woodley implements those kicks early on, then that's going to greatly hinder uh that's going to really hinder Thompson's striking. So if he does that and he looks for his takedowns and just looks to wear Wonderboy down, then I think he gets it. But the problem is I'm just, I'm concerned that we're going to see kind of the same thing from Woodley. Like, like he showed it in the second round of that, in, of that fight. He showed it in the fifth round of that fight where he just kind of hangs back and he just kind of lets his opponents tee off on him without really offering much of, of a counter to it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that, like I said, the un, I mean, it's either going to go two ways. It's either going to go, you know, the way of attentive Woodley getting picked apart, or it's going to go the way of, you know, first-round domination, because I don't think we're going to see what we saw in the first fight. We saw we saw both of those fights play out in the first fight, and mm-hmm. but we also saw some crazy scrambles, some insane you know, back and forth action, but every death defying part of the fight was was by Woodley. You know, offense yeah. that offense that made you go, okay, this fight's over was all by Woodley. Oh and yeah, yeah. So, but I don't, I don't think Woodley's going to come out and you know knock out Stephen Thompson. And I don't think mm-hmm. I could see Stephen Thompson you know winning a decision by picking him apart, but I don't think he's going to knock out Tyron Woodley either. I mean, Tyron Woodley hasn't been knocked out. 
Yeah, so it's this fight a long time ago against Nate Marquardt, and that was just yeah, that was a very green Tyron Woodley. So it it's either going to go one or two ways, and the way I'm honestly picking is, you know, I'm picking he's going to go out there, take him down. He's going, I think he's going to go take him down, rough up Stephen Thompson, and show his dominant wrestling. I think we're going to see a TKO win by Tyron Woodley to retain his title in round three. Okay, yeah, so you got him by third round TKO. Yeah, it's, man, like, like I'm kind of going back and forth on this one. Um, a big factor here that is kind of holding me back from picking Tyron Woodley is kind of that hesitation. Now, we could know right off the bat which Woodley shows up. You know, he, he's usually really good at alluding to it. Like, if he goes out there, he scores with his takedowns, and he looks to put that pressure on there, then I think we're going to know that Tyron Woodley is in that right mindset and he's going to have the skills to get the win. Now, if he goes out there and he looks very tentative, like he sometimes does, then I think that then he's just going to allow Thompson to, to take over. Um, it's it's close. I'm, I'm leaning towards Stephen Thompson ever so slightly based on that kind of question mark around Tyron Woodley, it would not be surprising if Tyron Woodley either scored with those takedowns or even landed a big shot like he did in the fourth round and and just kind of take over from that point. But, yeah, the the hesitation from Tyron Woodley makes me a little bit uh, – makes me kind of question whether or not I should pick him here. So, Ultimately, I think that Stephen Thompson can stay on the outside, kind of do what he did mainly in the third and fifth rounds of the first fight, use those kicks, use that jab, and try to outstrike him from, from a comfortable distance so that he's not outgrappled. But, man, it's it, it, it's a really, really close fight here. Just all in all, I mean, the card from top to bottom, like we were saying, the prelims, they're short on name value, but they're not short on action. The prelims are going to mm-hmm. be exciting. And then this, you know, the main card is just, it's elements of both. You got big stars, big names, but also excellent matchups top to bottom. It's going to be an exciting fight card. I'm really pumped for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited for it as well. So I believe that our official predictions for the main event, I believe you have Tyron Woodley by third round TKO, right? Correct. Okay, yeah, and I will be picking Stephen Thompson ever so slightly by unanimous or maybe even split decision, depending on how it goes. But yeah, like Matt was saying, this is a great card. Uh, the main the main card is stacked with name value, and all the prelims, while they might not have the biggest names, should still be really fun as well. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this one, uh, Matt. I want to thank you for helping me break down this card. Uh, where can people find you at? You can find me on Twitter at Matt Cole Webb. M-A-T-T-C-O-L-E-W-E-B-B. And like I alluded to to our last podcast, I will have an article coming out hopefully in the next two weeks. And just a little teaser, it will be the top power punchers in the UFC division by division. Oh, all right, man. That sounds good. That's going to be a fun one to read. Yeah. But it was excellent, man. I can't wait for these fights. Hardcore MMA fans, you're in for a treat. We all are. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree there. All right, guys, well, I think that about does it for us. Uh, yeah, thank you, Matt, for joining me. 
Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at FunkyMonkeyMMA. You can follow me on Twitter at Kane E. Miller. And you can always keep up with the site, FunkyMonkeyMMA.com, for the latest interviews, event photos, and analysis pieces. And we'll keep an eye out for Matt's latest article very soon. We'll see you next time. Legends of the Cage, proud sponsor of Funky Monkey MMA Radio, helping legends of yesterday and tomorrow. You can find them on Twitter at TrueMMAHOF or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Legends of the Cage or go to the website, LegendsOfTheCage.com. That's Legends of the Cage together with Funky Monkey MMA Radio. You can listen to Funky Monkey MMA Radio on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, Cash Roller, the TuneIn Radio app, MMAFutures.com, LoveMMA.com, MMAWreckage.com, and FightBookMMA.com. For the freshest news and notes on all things MMA, get over to FunkyMonkeyMMA.com. Interested in sponsoring the show? Then send an email to FunkyMonkeyMMA at gmail.com. You're listening to Funky Monkey MMA.